Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Hope you're well this morning. It's good to see you here. And uh, I've said it before, but I just got to say it again. Do you remember the early days of the lockdown and how it was so, it's such a bleak feeling thinking we can't be together. And here we are, most of us not even wearing masks now, like life slowly feeling like it might return to normal again. Can we just pause whatever else happens during our day and just acknowledge that um, God has carried us through some of the hardest years that our church has faced, and uh, he is good. This is a week of milestones. Some pretty amazing historic things have happened this week. And we want to take a moment just to acknowledge God in those things. Towards the end of this service, in just about 35 minutes or so, we're going to ordain Ben Uman and John Lee. They will be the seventh and eighth lay elders in the 27-year history of our church. And I rejoice that whenever this church has needed leaders, God has raised up exceptional people to stand up and be counted and be willing to pay that very high price. Knowing that we're going to be ordaining two new elders, I thought it would be a really good opportunity for us to explore together what elders are called to. What exactly do elders do? Because I think there's some assumption, but maybe a little confusion about how we regard elders. I know there's a lot of confusion about what pastors do, because I still get asked, what do you guys do on the six days of the week you're not working? I'm like, yeah, you know, what do I do? I'm so bored all the time. So maybe it's important just to kind of um, let you in on what, did it, what exactly can you expect from elders? What are they called to do? And then, because we have two new freshmen elder coming in, for their sake, I just want to also explore how can you respond to the ministry of elders in the church so that as they do their job faithfully, you can help make their years of service a joy rather than a drudgery. So I really see shepherding ministry and leadership in the church as a collaborative dance, as a two-way thing where leaders are held to the highest standards and they must do their job faithfully and in a Christ-like manner. But those who are led also have an obligation and responsibility back to their leaders. And I want to explore both sides of that dance together. At Harvest, we think of our elders as shepherd leaders. Now, being a board of directors, a governing body, that's a part of what elders do in every church. At a lot of churches, that's all that the, the elders do is make decisions and govern the church. That's an important function, but that is not the most important function of elders at this church. At Harvest, the, the image and the role of shepherd is the most important role that defines the ministry of those who serve as elders. And there are four key functions that define that shepherding ministry. And I want to consider them with you. To save time, I lump two of them together. And I want to walk through them so that you can know what you can expect of your elders and also how you can make their leadership a joy. And although I'm saying this 
kind of as a way of um, encouraging Ben and John as they step into a new role. I also want to take this day as an occasion for every elder in this church to renew our commitment to serve and to lead in this way, by these standards. I want today to be a day of recommitment for each current elder as well, to renew our desire, our commitment, and a calling to lead in this way. And I want to ask you to renew your commitment to us. <clears throat> the first key function of an elder or a shepherd is to know their people. In John chapter 10, Jesus gives this really beautiful teaching and he uses the imagery of a shepherd to help us understand what's happening. Okay, all right. <laughs> There's a raccoon up there. All right. <laughs> Scared me. <clears throat> Jesus gives this beautiful teaching about shepherds. And he's using a really commonplace image in his day. And he uses that to talk about what his relationship to us is like. And by extension, because he is the chief shepherd, he's helping us understand what every person who functions as a shepherd under his authority is supposed to be like. And in verses 3 and 14, he says this. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, that is the shepherd, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. At the heart of shepherding is this relationship of knowing. At the heart of shepherding is knowing your sheep and also being known by your sheep. That two-way relationship of knowing is critical to the proper functioning of the shepherd-sheep relationship. In Jesus' day, the image he had in mind was very commonplace. <clears throat> to this day, it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. In many Middle Eastern villages, there is a communal sheep pen, just like what we would think of as a parking lot, but it's for sheep. And shepherds with different sized flocks, some as small as 20, some as large as 300, would come in from the fields, and if they want to refresh themselves, get a rest, maybe meet someone at the local tea shop or something, they would open up the pen, there'd be a guy in charge of this communal pen, and he would open it up, and all the sheep would go in, and then they would close it, and he would go do his business and come back, and he would reclaim his sheep. And that creates a problem right away for someone like me in the Western world, because I'm like, all sheep look the same to me, other than like a black sheep and a white sheep. But among the same white sheep or the same black sheep, I can't tell any difference. How about you guys? You, can you tell animals apart? I sometimes can't tell people apart. So you've got this situation where maybe as many as 15, 20 shepherds have parked all their sheep into this thing. And because, you know, Property rights and ownership matter so much to our minds. We're, we're very uh, uptight about this. How do I make sure that all my sheep, how do I know some other guy's not going to be like, I like that one, I like that one. And he's going to walk with all the Lexus sheep and leave all the Yugo sheep behind. How do I know that's not going to happen? The reason that works is because the relationship between shepherd and sheep is so intimate. They spend so much time together 
I had a professor in my doctoral studies named Timothy Laniak. He lived for a year among Bedouin um, sheep, uh, shepherds in the Middle East, lived among them because he was writing a dissertation about shepherding, and he wanted to know why that image was so often used. He said, to this very day, it's the same thing. Shepherds can recognize the bleeding of their own sheep out of the cacophony of all the other sheep making noise. They know which one is in trouble. They know what they're complaining about. They can recognize it, and they know every sheep in their flock, even if they have 300 of them, they know each of them by name. They actually name all their sheep. And what's amazing is in that, in that noise and chaos of a village center, if their shepherd calls out in a certain familiar call, all, only their sheep will walk out of the pen. It's the most remarkable thing. He said he didn't believe the claim until he saw it again and again and again. Out of hundreds, hundreds of sheep, 15 that belong to this boy will walk out to him and go away. And no one in town is disputing whose sheep they are because that's the relationship between sheep and shepherds. I'm bringing this up because at our church, it's really important that our elders never lead from a very far away high pedestal. I joked yesterday that um, to, to a group of people that Ben and John are now asking to be called, referred to as his lordship, whenever you see them in the hallways. Um, I'm kidding, of course. They have no such desire. But we don't expect you to bow to us or to let us eat first or any nonsense like that. The point of being an elder is not to get more respect from other people. It is to conduct yourself with greater love, greater commitment, a greater care for people, and in the context of really knowing the people of the church. And that's hard because for some reason, sometimes when a person becomes an elder, it's like, ew, now you're management, get away from us, we're labor. And it's just this weird relational divide happens, like you used to be one of us, but now you're over there. And that's a tragedy to me because it is so critically important that elders and congregations live in real and meaningful friendship with each other. That doesn't mean that every elder will be a personal friend with every member of the church. I don't know if that's possible in a church our size. But I hope it means at least this, that every person who's been at this church for any length of time has a personal relationship with at least one elder and their family can say, I know those people at a personal level. Maybe we're not besties. Maybe we don't travel on vacation together. But I've invited them to my kids' birthday parties. Or, you know, they're part of my life. I don't just see them as the leaders of the church. But I see them as people that we know. It matters because we will exercise authority and influence at times in a way that can only have fruit if we have real relationship with each other. At an individual level, the ministry of shepherding is effective only in the context of real relationship. Nobody wants to be given advice from someone who hardly knows who they are. Even if that person has rank or authority, it's annoying and hurtful to be told how to live by someone you don't know or trust. 
And so I want to invite you as elders of this church seek to be involved in your life, to open your life up. And we've also charged our elders again and again to live their lives in a posture of openness and welcome. How many of you have ever been invited for a meal in the home of one of our elders or pastors? Can I just see a show of hands if you've ever sat in the home? So that's a good sign. Almost every hand went up. That's what we want on a regular basis, is that we are not people who live behind some great fence, but we are in the church just as much as we lead the church. And this also matters not just at an individual ministry level, but at a church-wide level. Because a big way that you are impacted by the ministry of elders is the decisions that we have to make that affect the whole church. Do you know that along the way, as we're looking at all these buildings, we turn down a lot of buildings in order to buy just this one, the Bright Hope Building, which, by the way, is no longer ever to be called the Bright Hope Building again. It's now referred to as the Harvest Building. Amen. As a hard-fought name change, I'll tell you right now. <clears throat> it is the Harvest Building. And we said no to a lot of good buildings because there were values and principles behind that which govern our selection of a site. There were cheaper buildings. There were nicer buildings. But this is a building situated in a place that needs the hands and feet and the presence of Christ. It's a hard neighborhood. It's a place with a lot of trouble, a lot of people in need, and it's the perfect place for us to establish the presence of God in the community. And so we said yes to that building. The decisions we make affect all of us. And if we don't have relationship, then you will respond only to the decisions themselves at face value, and everyone will have an opinion about the decision, and every decision we make has the possibility of splitting our church around our reactions to the things that are decided. Now, that's probably inevitable. We learned that through COVID. Whatever our policy was with masks, half of you were, wanted to kill us, right? Can we just admit that? Half of you thought, what a bunch of idiots. Why are you making us wear masks? Why are you not making us wear masks? There was no winning. If we just react to decisions at face value, we will never stop being a divided church. Some of that is inevitable, but one way around that is to do so in a context of real relationship. So you're not only reacting to the decision or the policy, but you have some context of the heart and the character of the people who made those decisions. So you're able to say, okay, I don't like the decision that was made. And by the way, if you're a parent, could you just admit this is what you have to face every day? How many of your kids just love every decision you made? Oh, that's awesome, Mom. Yes, I will not go out with my friends, because you're right. My physics grade is really low. I need to just... They hate your decisions. But isn't it hurtful when they act like you're doing this just to mess their lives up, like you don't care about them, you have no concern for their future, you're just a bad person who loves making everyone's life super bad. Isn't it so hurtful when your motives and your heart are totally disregarded because the decision itself sucks to them? That's just going to be the story of the church or of any gathering of human beings. You will not like every decision that is made, but you've got to regard every decision at least in the context of the people who are making those decisions. And at the very least say, I at least understand the heart and the character of the leaders who made those decisions.
I'm not asking you to pretend you like every decision. I want dissent in this church. I want there to be healthy outrage expressing, please don't do that. If we don't have that culture, we're not going to be a healthy church. But if we don't have relationships, listen, here's, here's a, the way I would say, say the principle. If we have relationships, we will build a culture and community of trust. If we don't have relationships, we will build a culture and a community of politics, of opinions. I've seen a lot of companies, a lot of schools, a lot of neighborhoods go that way. Even families split down the middle because there's no relationship, but there's such strong opinions and feelings about everything else. And so I'm asking you, as elders have no choice but to decide things that affect all of us, We commit ourselves to be as much in tune with Jesus Christ as we we possibly can. We won't get it right every single time. But I also ask you to regard and get to know the people who lead this church at a personal level so that you have some appreciation of the heart and character that drives those decisions that affect all of us. Are you guys okay? Still together? All right. Let's press on. <clears throat> the second thing, and this sometimes literally, I, would, I, I hope that I have every one of you in my home to put food in your mouth at some point. But a second calling of the shepherd is to feed their sheep. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Every elder at this church is qualified and authorized to preach from this pulpit. They don't always do that. Some beg never to do that. But they're authorized to do it. But this pulpit is not the primary place at Harvest where the word of God gets spoken. I hope you understand that's true. I like to pretend because I put so much time into each sermon. You may not know it. You're like, I can't believe that took that long. We pour, if you try this just once, you'll realize what I mean. Like what you agonize over for 20 hours looks to other people like it took 30 minutes on the way to church, but it's hard work. And I like to pretend in my heart that every sermon I agonize over is changing all of your lives permanently. But then I talk to people right after service and say, do you remember what I said? They're like, no. But I just said it like five minutes ago. And I realized that we really have pretty short-term memory, including sometimes me. I've had occasions where people go, oh, I love when you said that. I'm like, oh, I did? And I just said it. Sermons matter, but I'm convinced now after nearly 30 years at this church preaching, That every sermon matters a great deal for like three people in the room who are there for that day to need to hear that message. It will change them in a profound way. For everyone else, it's another meal. It's like oatmeal that you eat so that you don't pass out at work. It's sustenance. It's nourishment. It's just another meal, another brick in the wall. And it's good. You can't live without it, but you're not going to write poems about the oatmeal you had for breakfast. I accept now, in my older age, with humility, that that's what every Sunday sermon is. 
And if I thought that the preaching of the word from this pulpit is the lifeline of God's word into your lives, we'd be in really, really big trouble, but it's not. The place where the word of God gets spoken isn't even only by the elders, it's by all of us as we speak the word of God to each other in the context of everyday real relationship. We do life together, and sometimes we speak from our hearts, our own convictions, but a lot of the time we try to urge one another to see the truth of what God has said already. Just reminding one another, this is what we held to, remember? This is the, the word that binds and defines our lives. I want to encourage you, friend, to live by this. This is the most common context in which elders will speak God's word to you. Maybe Ben and John will be relieved to know, I may not ask you for years to take this pulpit or ever. Do you guys want to preach? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I have yet to have any lay elder at this church ask if they could preach. But man, if you hang out with these people at any point, if you really get to know them, you'll realize that very often they represent and speak the truth of God's word to us. They've spoken it into my life, and they will speak it into yours. When we say feeding, we're not talking about literal food, but the word of God is repeatedly described as spiritual food for us. It's nourishment for the soul. And those who speak God's word to others are feeding the invisible part of us. The reason some of us go through seasons where we just feel so numb and empty, it's not so much just, there may be lots of other things going on, I'll acknowledge that, but sometimes it's just that our soul, which you can't always see from the outside, is malnourished. The body might look healthy as a horse, but the soul might be starving and undernourished. And as a result, you see on the outside very little difference, but on the inside, there's something dying like a flame going out because there's nothing coming in. And so the feeding of God's word to each other is supremely important for our ongoing life in Christ. Our elders are committed to speaking God's word into your lives. But the only real reason we would do that is to edify you, to instruct you, or to bless you. Never to control you or coerce you. The Bible should never be weaponized, ever. It should never be thrown out in order to leverage your opinion or your desire to move someone or manipulate them into a certain outcome. Some of us have been so grievously hurt by people who held authority over us and instead of speaking the word of God as the word of God, weaponized it like a stick in their hand to hit us, to get us to do what they wanted us to do. The word of God should never be handled that way, ever. And if we ever do it, because we are imperfect men, I ask you, I beg you, to point your finger like this at us and go, stop it. Call us out on it. Don't let us get away with that. Don't whisper behind our backs if you have to, whatever, if it helps you. But tell us. Make us shut up if we're doing that because we don't want to be leaders like that. And it's possible. Has it ever happened to you? You are so convinced 
that there was one story, then you talk directly to the person, you're like, oh, it was a misunderstanding. Sometimes that's all it is. But sometimes it's sin, it's evil. It's fallenness, and it has to be named and called out. If you're not comfortable talking to us directly, I totally get that. Talk to the women in the Tov group. We're terrified of them. <laughs> they will, I don't know if I can say this in polite company, but they will open up new openings in us. <laughs> they have authority to pursue such action with us. And if you feel safer talking to them, that's a good outlet. But I beg you not to let the leaders of this church ever weaponize God's word in your life in a spirit of judgment or control. But if we're not doing that, if really we are speaking the truth of God's word to edify you, to bless you, to instruct you, even if it's not the word you most want to hear, then I ask you, if we're not sinning in that, please accept the word we're speaking into your life as a gift and a blessing so that our ministry also is a joy. Notice that the writer of Hebrews says, not just that we should regard those who speak the word, but watch carefully and consider the way that they live, the outcome of their lives. What that's pointing to is this. Some of our authority comes from the authority God gave us through our position and title, but much of our real authority comes to the moral authority of lives that are lived out in alignment with the very word of God. You should never accept God's word from a hypocrite. And if that's how we're acting, you need to tell us because we will have no effect or force in this church if we're hypocrites. I don't know if you've ever heard elders ask you to point out hypocrisy, but we are asking that of you. If you ever sense, even if it's just your subjective opinion, please don't let that go unchecked. But if you see in the leaders over you that the words they speak are also found in their actual lives, if their walk and their talk match each other, show some honor to such people. Make their leadership over your lives a joy rather than a drudgery by accepting the word of God spoken lovingly into your life by people who want to walk and talk in a way that matches with God's word. We will not do that perfectly. And again, I ask you, if you ever see dissonance, misalignment in our lives between our walk and our talk, you call us out on that. But if there is moral authority in what we're saying, I ask you, in the spirit of bowing before God, to say, I will accept this word from this leader because I believe that it's being offered to nourish me in some way, not to control me. Good so far? I don't know what's going on in this room right now, I can't read the faces at all. So I'm just going to keep going in faith. I, I would love if we had a year where, like, every one of you got to preach, just so you experience how weird a thing this is that happens between us. 30 years in, I'm still not used to it. Hebrews 13, 17 
says this. The last two functions of the elders are to guide and to protect. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Ooh. Provocative words today. I'm going to unpack that because I have to. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In an era of church abuse, words like obey and submit are potentially dangerous words, aren't they? I don't know that we use words like that a lot at Harvest. There's a force to them there that we can't just ignore because we don't like the words, but those are the words God happened to choose. But it's interesting that other scholars who have translated the Bible have made other choices. The NIV, for example, translates the word obey as have confidence in your leaders. Eugene Peterson in the message, he wrote it as be responsive to your spiritual leaders. The meaning is the same. In all leadership, leadership is the exercise of influence to achieve some end. Right? It's not just suggestion making. It's the leveraging of some amount of influence, whether it's authority or intellect or logic or whatever else it may be. We're trying to get something accomplished, reach some goal together, and leaders are called to exercise authority or influence in doing that. And so as we do that as leaders, there has to be a parallel response or else the, the, the whole movement stands still. As a nation, I think we're sort of experiencing that right now. Because at any given time anymore for the foreseeable future, only half this country will follow their leaders. The other half will spend four years being ticked off beyond all imagination. And then next four years, we might try it again, flip sides. I don't know how it's going to go. That's how it feels to be an American today, is whoever's in charge governs only half the country. This is God's attempt to produce some measure of unity in the church, but there are guardrails put up for the safety of God's people and for the way that those who wield God's authority do so. The only reason to exercise that authority in guiding and protecting people is in order to keep watch for their their sake and not for ours. We are not called to protect an organization. I'm not called to make sure that Harvest as an entity exists beyond my lifetime. In fact, some of the weakest churches in the world are the ones who have existed for 300 years. Right? I mean, my goal is not to make sure Harvest as an organization endures forever. My goal in my lifetime is to faithfully shepherd this flock of people and to make sure that in your lives you are having a positive kingdom impact on the lives around you. That's my whole mission as a pastor. And if I ever exercise authority for any goal other than that, 
then I've invalidated my own authority. Because God doesn't give people authority in order to give them power for their own sake, but for the sake of the church. That has to be the way every leader exercises authority. In order to understand that dynamic, I think the best way to begin that understanding is to think about the places in your own life where you have authority. Maybe as a parent or as a manager, as a business owner, a teacher. Consider how you use the influence and authority you've been entrusted with and how those who are under that influence or authority are experiencing it. I've seen good business owners in this congregation, and I know they're good business owners because their employees seem really, really jazzed to work there, man. They're like, I love this company. Working here was like winning the lottery. I'm thinking specifically of some of you whose employees I have met, and I think, man, people love being around you in your organization because they could tell you're not using them for your ends, but you're using yourself for their ends too. God has given authority to the elders of the church. But he has given that authority to guide and to protect and to preserve the people of God and their spiritual well-being. Never to protect our own interests or an organization or an entity, but the people of God. In Acts 20, 28 to 30, Luke records a conversation that happened between the Apostle Paul and one of his closest group of friends. These were the guys in the church at Ephesus who were the elders of that church. He ran with them for many years. They got very close, and this was going to be his farewell. He would not see these men again for the rest of his life. And so gathered on a beach, they're having kind of a a beach cookout and a send-off. And he gathers them together, and he says these words in commissioning to them. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. The picture Paul is painting here is that the greatest threat to the people of God are not physical dangers or economic dangers, but the distortions of truth. Ideas and beliefs have incredibly powerful consequences. Some of the biggest issues you're facing in your own life and mental health are rooted in beliefs and ideas that have scarred you deeply, have affected you, haunted you. Words spoken over you whose force has never left your heart. I've met adults in their 60s who were told as children repeatedly how worthless they were. And in their 60s, they still hear that voice as the defining marker of their identity. Everything they do is to try to get that monkey off their back. Ideas and beliefs have unbelievably powerful consequences in our lives. That is the great threat to human flourishing in the family of God. And that is one of the primary responsibilities elders have. 
is to be vigilant. That keep watch phrase, several words translate into keep watch throughout the New Testament. They all carry the force of this, be alert, stay awake, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Be watchful over the ideas that are disseminating among the people of God because ideas have more power to pull people away from God than hardship does. Beliefs and ideas are the most powerful forces in this world. And so I ask you, if the words and the influence being exercised in your life by a leader appear to be for your freedom or benefit or that of another person, if it seems to be fighting for a truth God has proclaimed, even if it's hard to hear that right now, when I tell one of my children to forgive their sibling right after their sibling has done a hard thing to them, it's a hard thing to follow through on. But if it appears that it has the ring of biblical truth, that it will bring more light than dark into the world, that it would bring glory to God, then I ask you to accept and to be responsive to what is being said and done in your life, even if it's not what you want to see happening. Because some of the things that we need are not things we welcome. Remember that we as elders are going to give an account before God for how we exercised any authority or influence in your lives. But I also am mindful of the words of Romans 14, 12 that reminds us that each of us, all of you also, will give an account for your lives before God. And so I ask you, let's not fight each other on that, but as people all together who will stand before God one day, give an accounting for our lives. Let's fight for each other rather than against each other. If you ever feel that authority is being mishandled in this church, I charge you in the name of Jesus to name it, to call it out, and not let it slide, because even if you can survive it, the next person might not. Fight for the health of this church How many times have we watched a church fall apart or a leader have a massive failure and the words we always say is, how come no one did anything? How come no one said anything? Let's not ever let that happen here. If you're having a hard time listening to my message this morning because you're not happy with me, say something to me directly. I will hear you out. If you don't want to do that, Tove. Go to Karen Kim. Karen, Arceo, June, Pena, go to the women of this group, Faye. They will handle it with courage and boldness and make sure that we don't just let problems fester in our congregation. I never want authority to be misused here. I pray to God I never misuse authority in your life. And as long as that is not happening, authority doesn't have to be a, a dirty word or frightening word. Authority shapes the world we live in. If it's well used, it brings order out of chaos. It tames the rebellious and restless heart so that it's possible for human beings to live in company 
with one another. You take away authority, we are just savage wolves tearing each other apart in packs. I don't want to live in that world. Authority can be beautifully used. It can also be very dangerous. So let's watch one another. And in all the exercise of influence and authority at this church, let's be very open, very courageous, very honest with each other. And where there is godly authority exercised, I plead with you for the sake of the kingdom to move together as one people. And let's not fight each other until we have to. Amen? We may have to someday. <laughs> we have to. Let's fight well. But let's not fight each other until we have to. Shepherding is a mutual ministry of trust and service. As Ben and John begin their journey, I'm going to repeat this. I would like every elder and pastor in this room to renew our commitment to serve and lead you with the humility of Jesus, with an awareness that the authority doesn't rest in us, but over us. To do so with humility and love, and a deep care for the people of God. I would also ask you, would you renew your commitment to the elders of this church to work together with us, to be responsive to our leadership, and if need be, to challenge us for the sake of the well-being of the church. Well, I think that was a necessary message. <laughs> but I think we're going to need a moment just to process the thousand things that might be flying through our minds right now. So I've said what I need to say. I'm just going to invite you now. And Brian, if you could start calling Seeds and Youth Group in. Before we invite Ben and John to come up um, and go through the, the ordination, I want to ask you to sit with what you've just heard. Listen to the, the voice uh, that's stirring inside of you. Maybe talk back to it if you need to. Make a decision about action, some response you're going to need to make. But just take a moment right now and sit before God with this. It's an awesome thing to take up authority in the name of God. No one should do so before counting deeply the cost of that and the counting that they will have to give before God. It's also a fearsome thing to recognize that anyone might have authority over you. Authority can be so beautifully used for the common good and for human flourishing and for the glory of God. But it could also be so horribly abused. So together as a church, God, we pray that you would purify the heart and the character of every man and woman at this church who wields authority. Give us as leaders the humility of Jesus 
a deep commitment to the flourishing and well-being of your people, an unselfishness. And we pray that you would preserve authority in this church so that it would not have to become a dangerous or dirty word, but something we can aspire to and celebrate together. For each of us in this room who holds some measure of authority in some pocket of this world, as parents, managers, bosses, business owners, teachers, leaders, shape in us a Christ-like heart, even outside the church, to use our authority for the sake of others and never for our own agendas. And as Ben and John take up the mantle of leadership at this church, we pray that you would allow them the grace of starting this journey in an atmosphere of joy and mutuality and celebration. But never take away from them the fear and trembling which everyone must hold who holds the authority of God. We pray these things as a church, together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.